0: Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Epiphany in Lent, we are back in the Gospel of Luke, where we see God revealed in Jesus. As is common for Luke, what we see is the kingdom coming to all, but maybe most often to the unexpected, We'll see Jesus challenge his disciples, the rich young ruler and the proud religious leader, but commend a persistent widow, insist that the children come to him, and reveal that a blind beggar can see him for who he is even better than his own disciples. Finally, we will make our way with Jesus, his disciples, and the crowd around him as he enters Jerusalem on Holy Week long ago. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy the sermon. God bless.
1: Lord, thank you for this uh, passage, this beautiful passage that uh, many of us know well. God, I pray that that a familiarity wouldn't be a hindrance to hearing it anew this morning. Um, But God, that wherever we're coming from, places of uh, doubt, uh, full of questions, and uh, places of uh, faith, um, Lord, weeks that have been hard on our hearts and on our souls, or times of rest, Lord, I pray that wherever we're coming from today, that you would speak to us. That we would see you in new and fresh ways today. That we would see you as the one who seeks And who saves the lost, Lord. And that we would glory in that together. Praise the name of Jesus who lives and reigns with you, Heavenly Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, a couple of weeks ago, Diane Koenig and I were in the sacristy room back here, and we were talking about a poinsettia that's back there that some of you have seen. that uh, she and I and Casey Cope occasionally water. And we've had it for about 14 months now, and it's sort of become our little pet of sorts. And uh, one of the things that Diane said to me was uh, she, think, she thinks that maybe as she talks to it, it helps it grow. Uh, and, you know, we kind of love this plant together. And uh, I mentioned to her that it reminded me of, uh, of this vineyard in Tuscany, And uh, so I'm going to tell you about it. I mentioned this years ago. I think maybe seven years ago or so here, but I'm going to tell it to you again. So in the hills of Tuscany, uh, actually just south of that hilltop town of Siena, there's a vineyard that produces some amazing, amazing wine. Um, It's a Brunello di Montalcino. And of course, there's lots of Brunello di Montalcinos, but this one is very special. The vines are very special. The roots are very special, the whole thing. The grapes are very, very special. So, um, this winery's name is Il Paradiso di Francina. And when they decided to plant the Sangiovese grapes there in that vineyard, um, they decided that they would also install a sound system all around this vineyard. So there are, and you can see pictures, there are posts with speakers out above the vineyard. Carlo... Cignozzi, the owner and the vintner, said when I began to restore the farmhouse at Paradiso di Farsina in 1999 and to plant the new Sangiovese vineyard around it, I intuitively felt that playing music to the vines would benefit their growth. Now he plays one composer all the time. Do you know what composer this is? Does anyone know? Mozart. These vines only hear Mozart 24-7. Now, what's really actually remarkable is that there have been studies done all over the world now on the effects of exposing plants to music. I mean, there, there's been a study at the University of Florence, uh, there in Tuscany, at the University of California. There's been research done in India and in Indiana and in Canada. Um, And in Colorado, people have been asking this question. Does it matter what you're exposed to in terms of music uh, for plants? And the the results have been absolutely remarkable. Uh, Many crops that have been tested, uh, soy, corn, wheat, grapes, they have shown absolutely remarkable growth when they're exposed to music. It changes how they actually sort of grow and live in the world. Um, The harvest yields of wheat in one Canadian study discovered that harvest yields yields doubled when exposed to music of consistently high frequencies. Isn't that amazing? I just think that's absolutely incredible. Um, A study done in Colorado that particularly looked at how different genres affected plant growth found that rock and roll had a consistently negative effect On plants, which I take personally because I really like rock, generally speaking. Um, Some plants deteriorated and died within weeks. (laughs) That's such a sad detail here. Uh, But here's the thing. Something outside of this plant, when it's exposed to this thing that's outside of the plant, has a huge effect. Our poinsettia is alive because we talk to it, is what I'm saying. That's not my point, actually. What I'm saying is that being exposed to something outside of yourself has a lasting, lasting effect. And you know this isn't just true of plants. You know that. It's true of you and me. Some of you have read a book, one book, and it's changed your life. Some of you have had one conversation with a friend or with a counselor or with somebody else that's outside of you. And you know that after that, your life was changed. You were exposed to something beyond you, and it totally shaped your life for the future. You went and visited a new country. You heard a lecture. And you were changed. This is what happens to Zacchaeus here in this passage. A moment, an experience that changed his life forever. Forever. Conversion, going one way and now he's going the other way. Repentance, a changed life, an encounter with Jesus and his life is changed. So I mentioned today is the last Sunday in Epiphany, which is this season in the church calendar, which is sort of, you know, the, a way of engaging with the year oriented towards Jesus and his life and the big events of his life. And Epiphany is specifically saying, how does God reveal himself? How has he made himself known to the world, to the nations? Um, it's the Sunday right before, is uh, the Sunday right before Lent begins. And today we're looking at this passage in the beginning of Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And this is the last one-on-one encounter that Jesus has before he enters Jerusalem for that first holy week when he makes his way to the cross. So here he's, he's demonstrating who he is before he goes to the cross. And I want us to consider first just who is Zacchaeus, and then I want us to consider Jesus. Kind of a simple sermon. Who's Zacchaeus and who's Jesus here? Specifically, the sinner and the Savior. So first, uh, Zacchaeus. This story we have only appears here in Luke. But I would guess that pretty much everyone in this room has heard this story about Zacchaeus. Um, one commentator said, Zacchaeus is sort of one of the minor heroes in Luke's writing. He kind of, is a He only gets, you know, 10 verses, but almost everybody knows about Zacchaeus. Um, Sunday schools love Zacchaeus, don't they? They do. They love to act out the story. They love to sing songs about this wee little man who was vertically challenged, short in stature, as our text tells us. Um, He's easy for children to identify with. You know, I mean, sometimes ch- children, uh, we have older children in, in, uh, in here with us, at least. Um, you, you probably remember maybe being at a parade and you're sort of pushing and you're wishing that you could see what was going on. Or and that's partly why when we have baptisms, children, you come forward so you can see and you can engage and you can remember a little bit more of what's happening. Because sometimes adults get in the way. And you can't see very well and you can't engage well. So you kind of, you know, it's easy to associate with Zacchaeus, this wee little man who has to climb into a sycamore tree. But of course, also adults can identify with Zacchaeus pretty easily too, actually. Um, We might want to get closer to Jesus, but we think we might find it rather embarrassing to do so. Or, you know, we wonder what's it going to cost if we actually give our lives to Jesus and and that sort of you know adult kind of questions and thoughts so this story grabs onto us um, and i kind of want to look at zacchaeus in these two kind of different ways what's his status what's his sort of place and then what does it cost him to follow jesus what's his stature what's his status Now, of course, when we think about his status or his stature, um, the first thing that we all think about is his height, right? That's the first thing we all think about. Um, But his physical stature, his physical status, is only one part of the story. And it's not even the part that the passage begins with. You know, he's short, so he climbs up into the sycamore tree to see what he could see. Um... But what we all know almost automatically is he does this because he doesn't want to have to deal with the crowd, right? Because, I mean, we, we can think about this. He could have actually asked, hey, can I kind of squeeze in here? Can I kind of c- come closer to, to Jesus? Maybe think about being at a concert and your wife is you know, near, the, near the stage and you went to go get a drink or some food. And you're kind of like, hey, my wife's up there. Can I kind of get by? And you're asking politely to kind of squeeze between people. Zacchaeus maybe could have done that. He could have had that approach. But we kind got to get this idea almost right, right away that there's sort of a stature that he has within the community that the community wouldn't have let him do that. He's got to be distant. He's got to be up in the tree away from other people. Now what we learn actually right away before we learn that he was short is that we learn that he lives in Jericho and that he's not just a tax collector but a chief tax collector And he's really rich. Okay, Jericho. I actually didn't really know all this about Jericho until I was studying for this sermon. Jericho was an extremely prosperous city. Extremely well-to-do place. Uh, It was an important town. It was in the, the Jordan Valley. If you think of the Jordan River, Mediterranean, Israel. Jerusalem, up on a hill, and down to the valley where the river is. Y'all followed that? Maybe my head got in the way. Um, it was in the valley. But here's the important thing. Because it's right next to the river, it also actually was a, a major, major trading city. So if you wanted to trade with Jerusalem, you would have brought your imports in through Jericho. And then up and, uh, uh, and dispersed them through Israel. It would have been a great place to collect taxes. It was extremely... Uh, profitable city. Uh, it was incredibly fertile around the city. Uh, it had a famous palm forest and balsam groves grew in such a way that it was said that for miles around, the air smelled sweet around Jerusal- or around Jericho. Um, some of you know maybe that its nickname was the City of Palms and the ancient writer Josephus uh, called it a divine region And the city of Jericho, the fattest in Palestine. It was just a really well-to-do place. Which is to say that if you were in the business of tax collecting, there were lots of taxes to be had. Jericho would have been the place to do it. And Zacchaeus, what we learn right away before we learn about his height is that he's not just any tax collector in this well-to-do city. He's the chief tax collector. He's the top of the pyramid scheme. He's got his minions under him doing his work and he's just skimming off the top. He's adding that nice fancy addition to his house. He's... Maybe buying a better litter to be carried around to look down on others. He's in cahoots with the Romans and taking more than enough to pay his sub tax collectors so that he can live this luxurious lifestyle. Um everyone around him, everybody in that crowd there in Jericho that he's you know climbing the sycamore tree to look down over would have known That he was the one that was taking their money and giving it to the Romans and then paying himself very handsomely so that he could have other people do the dirty work underneath him. Everyone would have known that. Everyone around him would have known that his wealth came from working with the bad guys and from taking from his very neighbors and from his very countrymen. Here's my point. Nobody in Jericho would have liked Zacchaeus. Nobody would have liked him. He was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. As a general rule, a tax collector was a swindler, a cheat. Think about this. Like, money tends to corrupt, right? It tends to corrupt. As it changes hands, money tends to get dirty. Whether you're, you know, on a dusty table in Palestine or if you're on, like, The high top floor of a high rise off of Wall Street, it tends to get dirty and it tends to get those who touch it dirty. But if that tends to be the case, meaning it happens often, not always. It pretty much always happened if you were a tax collector and a chief tax collector in Palestine long ago. The chief tax collector was public enemy number one. So what can we confidently say about Zacchaeus? What's his status? Short in height? Yes, we can confidently say that. But short in ethics? Short in morals? Big time short in love for any of his neighbors? He's short on godliness. Um, Short on healthy relationships with others. The one thing that probably everybody could agree on about Zacchaeus is that he had a lot of money and a lot of sin. Um, everybody would have known his status as a sinner, which is why, actually, this is what we read in verse 7, right? Look down at verse 7. And When they saw it, that's the crowd around him. They all grumbled. He, talking about Jesus, has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. That's what they would have all agreed on. Zacchaeus, sinner. That's his status. Okay, so what about the cost he has to pay to be with Jesus? Let's look at that together. First, I want to suggest to you that the first cost that we actually see in this passage is just simply the cost of embarrassment. Embarrassment. I mean, here's a man, you know, who at least... Physically, probably has it all. He doesn't have like the relationships that he should. But he can buy what he wants. But he has to climb up into a tree to see this teacher that's passing by. Um, goes out on a limb to get a glimpse of Jesus. Um, there are lots of reasons why people aren't Christians. I'm sure you know that. I'm sure we could think of them pretty quickly together. Um, there are lots of intellectual reasons why people aren't Christians. Um, they think about the history of the church, maybe the Inquisition, or how the German church was sort of going along with the Third Reich, and things like that. Legitimate intellectual questions about history and whatnot. Um, you can think of the, the, the emotional reasons why somebody doesn't consider Christianity um, Maybe they experienced abuse by a pastor or a, or a Christian leader, or they just hear about it. I think yuck. I don't want anything to do with that. Um, but you can think of how one of the greatest reasons why people aren't Christians is because of the social dynamic. Um, it's an embarrassment to your social group. There's a relational barrier at play. Um. People like me, we don't go to church. People like me, we, we don't read a Bible or talk about Jesus. That's not, that's not for people like me. Um, the church doesn't have people that look like me or listen to the music that I listen to or all the rest of the stuff, right? There's just this relational barrier. Church isn't for people like me. Um. There's a social cost for Zacchaeus from the get-go of trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. Um, The townsfolk around him, seeing him going up into the tree. You know, they would have said stuff like this. There's that no-good, Romanizing, short tax collector again. Who's he think he is? Jesus isn't for people like him. What's he doing up in that tree? And likely his friends, his fellow tax collectors, would have said something like this. Zacchaeus, why would you go see that guy? We're tax collectors. I mean, we got it pretty good as far as you know, finance goes and all that. You don't need him. What a waste of time. Eat. Come on, Zacchaeus, drink. Be merry. So initially, at least there's a social cost at play. With Zacchaeus trying to find out who is this Jesus. But then there's also this huge financial cost of following Jesus, right? So the crowd, they say, say this, right? Um, in verse 7 again, he says, he, he's gone down to be with this man who's a sinner. And then Zacchaeus in verse 8 says this. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, I'm a sinner. It's actually not exactly what he said, right? This is what he says behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is what he's saying. A lot of people um, define sin as doing those things which we ought not to do. And then don't doing the things which we should do. Sins of commission and omission. This is what Zacchaeus says. I've sinned by what I haven't done. I haven't cared for the poor. Which is what I'm called to do. And by what I have done. I've cheated people out of their hard-earned income. And then what he says is, I'm going to make it right. Um, I mean, think about this. We often confess that we've done those things which we ought not to have done. And we've not done the things which we ought to have done. And that's exactly what he's saying. But he actually is saying kind of more too, right? What he's doing is he's repenting from his actions... And that means turning around. He's saying, I'm living my life walking this way. And from this day forward, I'm walking this way. What it's actually doing, what he's saying is this is costing me my entire life. Going to Jesus is not just costing me the embarrassment of sort of climbing up a tree, but I'm going to change my entire life for this. The cost of following Jesus is his whole life. He's giving his life now to Jesus. And when he does so, now he's living his life to repair the wrongs he's done. To make reparations. He's going to live a life of repair and reparation. The cost of following Jesus is his life. He's repenting and that means living a whole new way in the world. It means walking a different direction means having a different orientation. As you turn from God, you turn away from your sin, and you turn in a completely new direction. I mean, if the status of Zacchaeus is that he's a sinner, the cost that he shows all of us of following Jesus is his very life. He actually says, my life is totally different. Completely different. Uh, but we need to look at Jesus here, Okay. Our passage ends in, in this way, verse 10. It says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus famously goes up in this tree, and he's seeking uh, to see Jesus. He's seeking to see Jesus. But this is what we read. Uh, verses, verse 4, I'm going to read ver- verses 4 and 5, okay? Verse 4 it says this, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So here's what, here's what I want to suggest to you. Uh, we don't read... That Zacchaeus looked at Jesus. Um, Or that Zacchaeus saw Jesus as he was passing by. That's not what Luke is highlighting for us, actually. What it says is that Jesus looked at him. Right? Like, Zacchaeus is trying to see Jesus, but what we find out is that Jesus is first finding him. Jesus is saying, that's the guy. I want to be with him. We don't read that Zacchaeus said, hey... Good to see you. You should come over to my house for dinner tonight. Actually, what we read is that Jesus, which he does elsewhere, invites himself over. (laughs) Hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. What we read is what Dale pointed out last Sunday. Is this idea of divine necessity. Um, I must stay at your house tonight. That word must is always used in the gospels to say that God has an appointment there. God is seeking him out. That's what we learn from the beginning. Is that Jesus is the one that's looking and seeing him and saying, I'm going with you because I seek out the lost. If we see in the status of Zacchaeus that he's a sinner, what we see in Jesus is that he seeks out sinners. He seems to just delight in people like Zacchaeus. He seeks out those who are in need, who come to him helpless. And empty-handed. And of course, this is what we've seen all through this epiphany season particularly. Um, Last week, right? He called for the blind man to be brought to him. (laughs) It's not just that the blind man is wanting to be healed. But Jesus says, I want that guy near me. Uh, He instructs the children to be brought to him. He says, let the children come to me. Um, This is the way of Jesus. He seeks out the lost. The ones that don't have something to offer to him. He says, I'm going to be with you, the outcasts of society. He seeks out the lost. He saves the lost. Um, and you know, from reading this, that Zacchaeus' life changed a great deal that day. Um, I mean, if he repented... And he sought reparations like he does so clearly in this passage. If he gave to the poor and then he paid back beyond what the law required. Fourfold from whatever he took unjustly from someone. Don't you think that would have actually left him in a completely different state in his life? I mean paying back fourfold what he took unjustly. His Whole financial status, his whole place in life had to do with what he took unjustly from others. He's going to pay back fourfold what he took? Of course it reduced his circumstances. Repentance in the Bible is never just a thing of the heart. It changes our lives. And it always costs us our lives. But unlike the rich young ruler that we just saw a couple weeks back, Who said, I can't do that. That's asking too much. Zacchaeus says, it's totally worth it to give up everything to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus has found something better than the riches of this world. Now here's the thing. We can't take this text right here out of its context, out of its bigger situation in the Gospel of Luke. You have to know that this is the passage, this is the last personal interaction before Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. He's just said to his disciples, just at the end of chapter 18, that he's making his way to the cross. Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem to die, to give up his life. Jesus, the king of heaven and earth, the one who spoke and the stars hung in their places... The crowd is going along with him. And think about this. They're actually going along with him, right? Uh, Right about to enter into the gates of Jerusalem, where they're going to throw down their cloaks and their palms. And they're probably actually making their way through this city of palms, grabbing the very palm branches that they're about to throw down. And when they throw those palm branches down, what they're going to say is this, Hosanna. Hosanna. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Only to shout that very same week, what? Crucify. crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. And what Jesus does is he willingly and he gladly gives up, gives up his life for those people. The one, ones who want to even push out the Zacchaeuses. The ones who are grabbing the palm branches and shouting Hosanna one day and crucify him the next. And Zacchaeus teaches us this lesson, that it's worth it to give up all of life, to repent from going one way and turn and go the other to follow Jesus. It's completely worth it. But Luke gives us this passage right before Jesus begins to enter Jerusalem and make his way to the cross to say this. If you think Zacchaeus giving up his life might seem a little crazy, you know what? Jesus gives up his life for you. Jesus seeks and he saves the lost. Sinners. This is what Jesus is about. Why is the cost of following Jesus so worth it? Because if following him means giving up your life, it's only first because he gave up his life for you. The phrase, he's gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner, soon changes to he's gone out to die with the criminals. He gives up his life for you. Let me very quickly get back to the idea of plants growing. Plants, vines, vegetables. They grew healthy and lovely and fruitful and beautiful. Because they encountered something lovely outside of themselves. I mean think of Zacchaeus right. He's been taking and taking. He hasn't been giving to the poor. Caring for the needy. He's been amassing his own wealth. At the expense of others. And for the most part probably who he has around him are his sub tax collectors. And that day. When Jesus made his way through Jericho, his life was completely changed. He had an encounter with Jesus and it changed his life forever. Have you had that? I mean, do you know yourself to be a sinner who's been taking and taking? But do you know that Jesus loves you? That he's seeking you? He's saying, I want to be with you today, this day? And that what he's offering you is a completely different life a beautiful life, a fruitful life, a life that gives into the world, a life that offers beauty. And goodness to your neighbors and to your friends. I think we have an invitation in this passage. An invitation to be with Jesus. And to be changed. To be converted. To find repentance as something not to be kicked against. Like the rich young ruler from the last chapter. But to be delighted in. You know, I'm going to change this way. I'm going to follow Jesus. Let's find in Jesus our life. He's come to seek and to save us. Let me pray for us. Lord. Lord, thank you for uh, Sunday school songs. Thank you for this this rich man. Who nobody would have thought. 2,000 years ago would still be talked about. All the people in Jericho would have thought he's the last person whose name would be known and celebrated by millions and billions of people throughout history. But Lord, we see in him what we've seen time and time again, how you've changed people entirely. Entirely. How you've sought out the lost. People like us. Full of our own ways. Selfish. Living our own desires. And as you've done so, you've changed us. Lord, I pray that even today, we who know you might be changed. might be converted again. We might find that repentance is a really lovely thing. As we live into it, we offer life to the world. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for Zacchaeus. And Jesus, we bless you and praise you. That not just long ago, but today, you're seeking and you're saving the lost. Do so in our hearts today and in our lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.